0: Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we've got two purposes. We're going to consider the goings-on on on the pitch this past weekend, and there was a lot going on, as well as to see who's blown in through the transfer window before it shuts at uh, 6 p.m. Germany time this Monday. With me this week is my frequent guest, ever more frequent, uh, thank goodness, (laughs) Nick Wildhagen. Hi, yes,
1: I mean, it's it's been exciting on the pitch, and uh, today has already been uh, one of the least exciting deadline days in in some time. But, uh, but I mean, we, despite corona and uh, tight finances, we, we got a couple of exciting transfers to talk about after all, though.
0: Oh, I think I, I think you might be overstating things a little bit. There's definitely some big moves we thought would happen that didn't happen, but there's also some, there was some moves that came out of nowhere today. So there's something to talk about for sure. Indeed. All right, this week we got uh, we got a trio of 4-0 scorelines, we got a couple of false starts for two new coaches and uh, a whole host of teams wheeling and dealing their way into the international break. Uh, so, coming right up. <laughs> Hey, it's part one of Talking Foosball. This week, uh, you know, as always, we are going to be talking about the best of the match day that's just gone. This week was match day three. And uh, we're going four for four to start the show. We're going to take a look at four games where the winners scored four goals. And uh, I think everybody who watched uh, the, the, the finale of match day three, and I hope that was a lot of people. It, it was a really good game. Uh, I think we know where we need to start. Yep. But probably the most engrossing football match of, of the rather young Bundesliga season thus far. Bayern Munich, they they got into a tangle with uh, Hertha BSC in the late Sunday offering this week. The boys from Berlin came back from 2-0 down to draw level in this game, Uh, gave up a goal, and then managed to draw level again at 3-3 two minutes from time. But there was one man who was just not at all interested in being denied on the day. He tipped the scales in Bayern's favorites. Robert Lewandowski, none other than four goals on the day, including that 92nd-minute uh, penalty kick winner. Some numbers. 13 shots... <laughs> That's not for Bayern. That is for Robert Lewandowski himself. 13 shots, seven shots on target. When Bob is on fire like that, I don't care how well you're playing. I don't care who you are. Bayern are probably going to win that game, right, Nick?
1: Yes, indeed. And and those 13 shots are actually a Bundesliga record for Lewandowski. He's never had a, any match where he's had the chance to have 13 efforts and goal. And um, yeah, I mean this match is really uh, a tale of uh, two defences being uh, not really all that well organized because uh, when it came to Herter, they gave away goals une- unnecessarily and, uh, I mean, the, the last two goals, especially must have been quite frustrating because Piontek gave away a free kick uh, that ultimately was turned in by Robert Lewandowski that he never should have given away because there was really no danger and he should have just, you know, stayed a little bit cooler in his head and then for the second... Piontek looked a little...
0: Over eager, let's just say, when he came on with about twenty minutes to go, he did.
1: I mean, he had he had he had an assist for for Cunha's goal. Yeah, though, oh a, yeah, nice nice little flick through pass, uh, which uh, showed the sort of qualities that Hurd are looking for from from him on the pitch, and they want to see a lot more of that and not what he did uh, when he gave away that free kick, and, and you know, finally Maxi Mittelstadt. Uh, There's that high-flying cross coming into the the box, and Maxi Mitchellstrad realizes, oh, Robert Lewandowski's gotten away from me. I need to pull him down. Not the cleverest thing to do in the penalty area, as that ball would have flown over Lewandowski, and instead it ended up being a penalty kick that Robert
0: Lewandowski, of course, converted. Although, Schwozlo was pretty close to it, and he was very, very unhappy with himself that it went past his fingers. (laughs) He was upset.
1: He was upset, yeah. Uh, He uh, punched the grass uh, in the Allianz Arena so hard he might have broken his hand. But yeah, I mean, for for her, it it was a strange game because Herta actually exposed on two occasions that Bayern are really struggling when it comes to set piece deliveries and crosses into the area. I mean, those tactics by just putting a cross in and then just filling up the box of your opponent with two or three players—they're not really revolutionary stuff from Herta. But, you know, Bayern really struggle to defend that, and they've done so on a couple of other occasions as well this season. I mean, they, statistically speaking, they have the, the fourth worst defence in the Bundesliga at this point. I mean, they yes, they started with a blistering 8-0 win, but, you know, in the last two matches, they've conceded seven goals.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens when you don't get to play Schalke every week, you know. <laughs> it
1: is. I mean, I mean, yes, we we sort of talked about after match day one. Uh, well, there's no Champions League hang, hangover. Uh, it doesn't really matter that these players had only one week to prepare and all that. And as it turns out, it was maybe more a case of Schalke that, that just being that crap, really. Um, so, all in all, considered, it, it was great drama. It was great uh, advertisement for, for Bundesliga football. Um, And yeah, Bayern probably deserved it slightly more in terms of the amount of chances they created. But Hertha really stuck it to them. And um, having said that, I think Hertha actually have a quite decent track record against uh, Bayern in early season matches. I mean, if if you remember last season, Hertha went away to the Olympia Stadion and actually managed to get a 2-2 draw on the opener of, of the Bundesliga season. Which means that they are actually the only team that actually managed to get some points out of Bayern on the last, I think, in the last six seasons uh, for for the opening match day. And uh, I mean, it was fun seeing that, take, thinking back to those times, uh, thinking about the Hertha Finns singing in the stands of the Allianz Arena. Spitzenreiter, Spitzenreiter, hey,
0: hey, we're top of the league. Well, yeah, that lasted about uh, <laughs> a of.
1: few minutes, but, you know, <laughs> what, what was two two, 2 2 2 draw in the end? And, uh, you know, what, that was a decent result. And this, exactly, exactly. this was a, a decent match by Hertha, but uh, in the end, their clumsy defending got the better of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I you know, Bayern have some food for thought to come out of this game for sure. I think mostly that comes from, uh, you know, squad depth and rotation issues. I mean, they did make a lot of changes. They, you know, put uh, Luca Hernandez uh, in at left back and pushed uh, Alphonso Davies up. And uh, Chris Richards got his first start in a Bayern shirt at right back. Got an assist. He did. He got an assist. um, Looked a little timid at times. I I think this was, uh, you know, this was a fine debut for him, not uh, not a real standout debut, but that that's that's fine. It's fine to be fine, but I think just as much, uh, to have a, a lot to uh, to think about after this game. I mean, certainly you mentioned already some of the sort of mental blackouts, which is a, a part of their game, which has been something of a trademark over the past twelve months or so. But at the same time. What they have cooking going forward, which is to say a a sort of a three-man game between Luca Bacchio Cunha and Cordoba, (laughs) I'm still pretty convinced by this. I mean, if you remember back to the first half of this game, they could very easily have been, you know, one or two nil up if they had been a little bit smarter with, uh, you know, laying the ball off uh, in, in, instead of shooting it. They know how to attack at pace already, and I, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with, with the way that that is developing.
1: Yeah, I, I would be too. I mean, um, they might not have a big city club defense right now, but they definitely have a big city club attacking
0: lineup right now. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I think maybe we can talk for a moment, jump into the transfer uh, section, because this, you know, this being uh, Monday, October 5th, uh, this is the transfer deadline day. It's, it's kind of silly not to, not to give this uh, a moment's consideration, especially because really, uh, Hertha and Bayern were the two most active teams uh, on deadline day. You know, speaking of big city defense, Karim Rekic has gone to Sevilla, but uh, Omar Alderete uh, has come in from Basel. Uh, he's a you know a central defender who should uh, probably be, be fighting for a place in that. Edward Leuven has been recalled from uh, Augsburg. Matteo gendozi on loan from Arsenal. The, the latter two that I just mentioned are both sort of central midfield types. Not quite the same type of player, but close. Bayern. This is kind of what I was talking about with these wildcard transfers at the top of the show. I mean, Mark Roca and uh, Bonassar Sarr are kind of the profile of players that Bayern like to buy, which is to say young players with perhaps a big future. But they also got a couple of their sort of trademark, let's plug the hole with the best available um, reliable veteran uh, pickups, which is to say... Douglas Costa, former Bayern player, of course, coming back on loan from Juventus, and Eric-Maxim Chupo-Moting. The man who just keeps on... He just keeps on moving up in the world, uh, despite the fact that he's really just a serviceable striker and nothing much more.
1: I mean, he is a decent backup for you know those uh, last 20 minutes against Augsburg for Lewandowski when you want to give him a rest. And um, unlike... Play Alexander Wagner. I don't think he'd be unhappy to play that second fiddle job because that's what he's basically done at Paris Saint-Germain for all the big guns that they had in the attacking lineup. So, in that sense, uh, it uh, that that transfer seems to be motivated by 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 that thinking. One transfer that uh, I just saw on my mobile phone and went through is actually that. Uh, Cousins, uh oh. the French midfielder, uh, has been loaned out to Olympic Marseille. So he's going the other way of bon right, So It's
0: happening. It's happening.
1: It is. happening. So, uh, I mean, there was some talk about him going to Leeds United and then failing a medical kill. But uh, he, obviously, the doctors at Olympic uh, Marseille actually thought that he was
0: uh,
1: fit to play for them.
0: Yeah, well, you know, he maybe he underwent uh, a weekend at the spa treatment down in uh, in the south of France, and things are really looking a little bit better for him. Speaking of all those transfers taken in total, I mean, you know, Bayern have four players coming in, a couple of guys going out. Hertha have uh, another, you know, three players on deadline day coming in and a couple going out. Any of these transfers move the needle for you? Um, any of them seem sort of transformative in any way I mean I, I guess I can't really I, I don't know exactly what to expect from some of these players because I haven't seen them play a whole lot but you know
1: I think for for Hertha and for Arnemiah it's actually important that he gets some playing time and um, right he's, yeah. he's and gone to
0: Bielefeld by the way I didn't mention he, that he's,
1: he's gone to Bielefeld and uh, I think that that's the thinking for that transfer and um, Eduard Leuven uh, yeah decent midfielder um, should be fun to see him in a Hertha jersey again but yeah, I'm I'm not really um, overly enthused by any of those transfers, thinking that uh, these are going to bring any of those two clubs a lot more quality. I mean, what Bayern basically have done is to add a lot more depth to their squad. And, you know, that might be important, given that they do have a long campaign ahead of themselves. And if they wanted to go deep into the Champions League, they might just need that. But, you know, in terms of quality, it's it's not really... Anything that's standing out?
0: Yeah, I you know, in some ways, I think it's a little disappointing because um, you know, specifically in the case of both Chris Richards and Jamal Musiala, you know, uh, basically a winger and a, and a fullback, respectively, or you know, the opposite of respectively, as I, I listed them in that order. These are guys who who might see themselves, uh, you know have some somewhat reduced playing time with the introduction of players like Douglas Costa and Bonassar. I, you know, if there is one name that sort of jumps out to me as being a, 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 a sort of immediate upgrade or immediate sort of safety valve, if you will, is, is Douglas Costa. I mean, this is a player who has done the business at times for, for Bayern in the past. I know some Bayern fans found him a fairly frustrating figure at times, but I can see him Filling very much a similar role to the one that um, you know Perisic did last season of of a guy who you know you know what you're getting you can put him in anywhere from 15 to 20 times a season you're probably going to get a couple of games where he just kills it and a bunch more where he's good and almost none where he's bad so yeah th- I think that's probably going to be a, a nice pickup indeed yeah. Omar Alderete. It would be interesting to see whether that changes the uh, changes the, the calculus of, of center backs at Hertha. I know that uh, Nicholas Stark is is you know kind of flirting between defensive midfield and, and center back there. Uh, what with with Dedrick Boyata and Jordan Tarunariga being basically first choice, it'll be interesting to see if that sort of pushes Stark a little bit further towards uh, a, a six or a you know a, a deep lying um, midfield role. Uh, you know. Mateo gondozi you know, I, I don't watch Arsenal. I don't know what he's all about. <laughs> Although he hasn't played a lot for them this this season, so
1: no. Well, I mean, if, well, if anything, those those transfers actually give Labadia the chance to maybe play three man backline and um, various tactics a bit.
0: Yep. Yeah, that that was always one thing that was in my mind the last, you know, year or so. And Hertha had sort of an uh, an overload of good central defenders is maybe some more experimentation in that direction would be the way to go. We'll see. All right. Anything further to, to take in from this match, which was, you know, breathtaking in the moment? You know, certainly frustrating for me, uh, a Hertha fan. We had a little word of commiseration from from Daniel Simon uh, expressing solidarity with me in this time (laughs) of need, uh, saying that that one hurt. And yes, it did hurt. But, you know, I I do agree with him that things are coming together for Hertha. Um, It's going to take time for them to turn the corner more than anything, I think. Uh, I don't think it's time to move on from Piontek. I think, you know, while he might find himself second choice for a little while, I did see in the second half when, when, for example, uh, Bruno Labbadia brought Piontek on, he decided to, you know, go to a two-striker scheme or, or a two-pure striker scheme. He, he played him with Cordoba for a while instead of uh, doing a like-for-like change. And I think that that could be, could be something uh, interesting in the future.
1: Yeah, as, as, as we said, I think Bayern have uh, really looked like they've struggled more than we would have expected them. And uh, it's it's going to be uh, interesting to see if, if that keeps happening again and again.
0: Yeah, I mean, g- getting on to, you know, Andreas, I think this is uh, Andreas in Bulgaria, who who has been in touch with us earlier this season as well, uh, his question, asking about Bayern, you know, is this is this going to be the way they get things done uh, in a pinch? You know, Ziga, which is basically a, a working... A uh, workingman's uh, victory, like a pretty unspectacular victory, and then a little bit of individual class, which is to say, Bob. Uh, is this the way it's going to have to get done? Sometimes for Bayern,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, they. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when you when you look at, at how they've done all these last eight or nine championships, uh, yeah, they've they've had a lot of performances where they've just beaten the opposition two or three nil, and and you know not really gotten out of, two, of second gear and uh you know what, what this match also showed is, if, if they if they push to the limits like her to push them they're not going to give up and they are always going to look for that decisive goal
0: yeah it, it's uh it's kind of a thing with Bayern isn't it those late goals unfortunately. Uh, All right, let's, let's move on from this uh, seven goal back and forth uh, thriller onto a couple of, uh, or I guess three very, very clear storylines, you know, not, not only three clear storylines, so clear that they each were four nil finishes. Uh, The first one I think we'll, we'll go to is, you know, Bayern's eternal uh, rival for both fans, hearts and uh, the title (laughs) at least for a little while during each season before uh, they fall off. That's Dortmund, of course, we're talking about. Mm. Uh, You know, plenty of talk last week about Dortmund and their you know tendency to slump against smaller sides, alleged smaller sides. Last week it was Augsburg. Folks criticized them for trying to be a bit too fancy uh, in, in moving the ball forward or, you know, not necessarily pulling the trigger when they could have and maybe a direct approach could have worked better. This week, however... They answered those critics pretty emphatically. It was uh, another smaller side. They just got swatted like a gnat. Di Arena, I think it's fair to say, was the man of the hour uh, for Dortmund in this one. He set up three of the four goals. He nearly got one for himself with a solo run that, you know, probably would have, you know, created uh, a a Twitter outage just from the sheer number of uh, American soccer fans who would have uh, lost their wigs. I don't want to jinx this, Nick, but I kind of want to take this even beyond the idea that this is just an American phenom. But, like, I do not know when we've seen a start to a season like this from a 17-year-old. I don't care if he's American or, or anything. I think that this guy is, you know, set to, to to blow those expectations out of the water. I mean, he is the American dream, as Erling Haaland keeps keeps saying, but he's much more than that. I mean, thinking about the teenage phenoms we've seen in the Bundesliga over the last decade or so, like, Reyna is in that, that conversation. He's looking spectacular.
1: He is. And, uh, I mean... What's important now is that uh, he makes the right choices in his career and that he doesn't end up uh, like Mario Götze who sort of got a stop to his career when he, he decided to move from Dortmund to Bayern and uh, his career really never recovered from from the injuries and from the I mean, if you've seen the documentary about Mario Götze um, produced by Laszlo um uh, he talks about the fact that he actually trained a lot too hard to sort of Get into that Bayern lineup, and uh, you know he got injuries from from training exhaustion, and and he, you know he's he never seemed fo- seemingly he has never fully recovered from from that sort of training regime he'd been under, and he's never been the sort of same footballer that we saw in his early days at Dortmund, and um, for that not to happen, that I mean that requires the know-how and and the guidance of the right people, and if he. Gets that sky's the limit, really?
0: For sure, for sure. I, f- I feel like if he understands, and I think he probably does. I mean, he's you could hardly think of a, a of a more soccer savvy uh, player, and in, in that he's you know both of his parents were you know U.S. internationals. Uh, his father, of course, played quite you know illustriously at a number of places in Europe, and kind of understands the business quite well. He's now a sporting director of a club, so I think his understanding of how the marketplace works is going to be pretty sophisticated. I just hope he sticks around at Dortmund for a good long while because I, I don't think, as you said, taking that step to a super club at age, I don't know how old Gutza was, 22 maybe, when he went to Bayern, something along those lines, 21, 22. I just hope Reina understands that uh, making sure he's in the right situation uh, for, for many years to come is going to going to steer him in the right direction. But yeah, let's appreciate him for what he's giving us now, right? Tell us a thing or two about how he killed it on, on Saturday.
1: I mean, well, you mentioned that solar run, and that solar run was certainly a thing of beauty that deserved to go. And, uh, another thing I, I would say, um, that, that one of the passes to Erling Holland, that was sort of, I think it was the pass with the one. It was sort of like that perfectly weighted pass, that Holland then just went on to smash home and you know that combination between a, a player, a midfielder like Reina, who knows to play the pass at exactly the right moment and a striker like Holland, who pretty much doesn't need an awful lot of space and can produce lethal shots from sort of any angle. Uh, it, it sort of gives Dortmund an edge in attack that is quite incredible. And when they're at the best, and when they produce that sort of attacking football, they are simply un- unstoppable. And um, I mean, I, you know, to diverge simply from from the Reina uh, parade of praise, uh, I I also want to mention Erling Droit Holland. Hey, he's from, he's from your from country,
0: Norway. man. You, go for it. <laughs> he is,
1: yes, and and I, I would be remiss to to not to mention that he got two more goals. Uh, he's now scored. Um, two or more goals in six of his 18 Bundesliga appearances, which is an incredible start, really. I mean, and he's I mean, he's only 19, 20 years old, too. I mean, he, he's not he's not exactly a, a guy who's getting up in years there. And uh, what was also beautiful to see with the Holland's performance was that, you know, when he was uh, through on goal by his own uh, and he was closing down on the Freiburg goalkeeper um, and he was on a hat-trick and instead of just simply deciding to go for the shot and to go for the hat trick he squared the ball to Felix Passlack who you know Dortmund fans have sort of forgotten about him because in the last 3 years he'd been on a sort of a lone odyssey at uh, Norwich at Hoffenheim um never really managed to break into those two sides and last season he was at Fortuna Sittard in in the Netherlands where he finally got some playing time and um you know he was that once that talent that uh, was uh, you know named as one of those potential players that could break into the Dortmund side but he went away and uh, his career had sort of stopped and um what a beautiful thing for him that once he returned to back to Dortmund after 1100 days or something he now has been gifted two or three performances and additionally he got to score his first ever Bundesliga goal in, in his 18th match for Dortmund. And uh, yeah, that was set up by Holland, who um, was unselfish in, in a moment where he could have gone for the hat-trick and uh, saw the player who had made the run forward with him and just squirted the ball off to him and allowed him to score, which uh, I think in itself was a beautiful gesture.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, th- I think um, the kind of chemistry that seems to be developing um, among Dortmund's younger guys uh sort of really looking out for each other both on the pitch and off seems to be very very encouraging. These two teams uh Dortmund and Freiburg were not active on deadline day. They they didn't seem to uh think that they 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 really needed to make more moves. Are you at all skeptical about uh about th- that way of of doing business or is uh is actually <laughs> it's better not to be active on deadline day sometimes? <laughs>
1: I mean, what deadline day really is striking me is is, is, is you know, last chance saloon. It's it's panicky moves. It's sort of like, um, oh, crap, we haven't gotten as many points as we would have wished from the first two or three matches. Uh, we need to act and we need to get in a player. And, uh, yeah, let's see who's available. And um, the sort of players who are available on deadline day are not necessarily always the sort of players that um, are going to be... The players who get you forward, I think having a more long-term thinking strategy like Dortmund and Freiburg and getting your business done early, uh, maybe even before the season has started or before the season ends and going into the next season, is most likely to be a way of doing business that is rewarded more often than, you know, those deadline day deals.
0: Yep. I would tend to agree. So, smarty pants, uh, <laughs> where should we be going next? Uh, I think it's to RB Leipzig's uh, 4-0. Their, their, their particular flavor of 4-0 was over uh, Schalke Nulfiä. Which of course means you know 0-4 in German. Uh, so it's always a bit of a chuckle when when Schalke lose lose four nil. Uh, you know even if even if they they lost uh, away as opposed to at home. So the, the score line even in German would be expressed as four nil rather than the nil four. But you know let's not quibble. This was not. A close game this was not a game uh, in which uh, schalke came out with their new coach uh, manuel baum and sort of showed a new face or a new sort of uh, way of playing or a sort of new approach or a new enthusiasm at all what changed here anything or is this just more of the same from a very bad team
1: it's more of the same i mean um Schalke were outpaced, outpassed. Uh, They never really were close to RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig created uh, all of the chances in this match. I think uh, Schalke really produced just one decent half chance all match long. And uh, that is actually reflected in the XG, which was 0.22, which um, in itself is maybe not a a great number, if you know anything about XG's uh, expected goals.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, folks... If you get one good chance in a game, you're probably going to have higher (laughs) XG than 0.22. One good chance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a penalty gives you 0.77 XG. And that that is uh, sort of the highest number you can get to pretty much. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it it was more of the same. Uh, Schalke really falling apart. Uh, RB Leipzig, uh, they they spread the goals around... um, Amazingly, to players who really haven't gotten onto the score sheet for quite some time. I mean, Willie Auburn got got, a, got his first goal in a long time and in his, in his first start in, in over a year. And Angelino got his first headed goal in the Bundesliga and I think his second ever goal in the Bundesliga. And uh, I think he the last time he scored was actually against Schalke as well. And then you had Marcel Halstenberger scoring from that penalty kick. Uh, towards the end of the match and that was his first goal since he last played Schalke <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Schalke really looked dreadful and I think Manuel Nor Baum is really looking forward to the international break because that will give him the chance to sort out certain things because to be fair to to Baum he didn't really have uh, a full week to prepare his side for the match so um it's pretty much unfair to judge him on on this one performance, uh, given that his team was in a dire crisis to begin with. But um, having said that, um, one to fifteen in goal difference is, is is dire, and I think it's actually the worst start to the season any side has ever had.
0: Yeah, we had uh, we had uh, a listener question from uh, Arctic Kaká asking us about Leipzig. He, he, of course, prefaced it with, um, please, please, please talk about Sancho to United, followed, thankfully, with, uh, no, I'm just kidding, because, you know, yeah, that, that, that's not going to be topic of conversation for us. But Leipzig, you know, how have they been adjusting to their loss of Timo Werner? I mean, you, you kind of said... Obliquely, uh, in this match, uh, they did—they're they're spreading the goals around well. They're getting goals from from more places than than they did in in past years. Let's just say, who's been who's been sort of stepping up on the uh, the attacking side of things?
1: I think Emil Forsberg has been a revelation this season. I mean, he's sort of been in and out of the Leipzig side last season. This season, he seems to be a vital pillar for them, and he's really stepped up his game and. Um, Additionally, they've brought in Alexander Zerlot, uh, another Norwegian striker. I mean, what great time to live in that uh, Martin Ødegaard is getting playing time at Real Madrid. Alexander Zerlot is at RB Leipzig. And then you have Erling Haaland at uh, Borussia Dortmund. Hooray for Norwegian football, be that as that may. I, I think Leipzig have, uh, you know, they, they've sort of shared the burden among the players of that departure. And uh, so far, it's... It's worked out rather well. I mean, they're topping the table after three match days. And uh, yeah, it uh, seems like that the team who has the most interesting coach or the most up-and-coming coach in Germany is also playing some of the best football right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. just to, to mention the deadline day topic in, in relation to this to this game, we did have a couple of moves, uh, one being a, a fairly big name in, in Justin Clivert. Uh, probably the bigness of that name has to do more with, uh, with the last name and, and his father's exploits back in the 90s and aughts than, uh, than what Justin has accomplished thus far. But he is an up-and-coming young Dutch player. He's on loan from Roma. He's coming to Leipzig. Manuel Baum, too, uh, seems to have made a move for a guy who he's familiar with in Kilian Ludovig. He is being brought in uh, on loan from RB Salzburg. It's a young German player who who Baum knows from from the DFB setup. Yeah, are you turned on by those at all? Yeah, I mean, having
1: a club in the Bundesliga doesn't doesn't sound like an awful thing. Um, excited to see what he what he can do. And uh, as for Keely I, know, yeah, not not familiar with his work so far. As I'm not following Austrian football all that much, but yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely a young guy to watch out for.
0: Yep, yep. You know, I, I think Schalke are, are right to be looking for upgrades anywhere they can find them these days, even if it's sort of uh, on, on maybe one of the lower shelves in, in the Bundesliga transfer supermarket. Uh, I don't want to undersell the guy, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> All right. Probably the most surprising of the 4-0 lines from the weekend was the one that happened on Friday night. Maybe maybe it's just me, but I think it's safe to say that the reason why it's surprising is, is Union were on the higher end of it. Not that I thought they were going to lose to Mainz, because, hey, who loses to Mainz these days? But, you know, Union... While they have built a very strong reputation in the Bundesliga uh, over the past couple of years as being a side that's hard to beat, high scoring has not been something <laughs> they have built a reputation for. Uh, this, was, this was a shocking uh, scoreline. This really shows just how much trouble Mainz is in, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially because, it again, it was such a simple recipe to take that defense apart crosses into the area and uh, loads of unmarked Union players, I mean all four goals arrived after crosses, uh, uh, Union captain Trimmel getting a couple of assists on uh, I think his 200th appearance for the club, and uh, yeah, it it just shows that mine's really in in dire straits because... You need to defend crosses better than that. You need to have an eye on, you know, the guy who comes rushing in on the far post and you need to have somebody following following that run. I mean, Max Cruz is not usually a player who scores an awful lot of headed goals, but when you leave him that alone, uh, yeah, he will score. I mean, for Union, the takeaway is probably that Geraldo Becker and Max Kruse have quite quite some chemistry going on. And uh, Max Kruse, uh, from his early days, from his earliest stints in the Bundesliga, he tends to do the best when he has sort of one player he can play off. Uh, I mean, at Gladbach, he had Raphael. At Werder Bremen, he had uh, Finn Bartels, for instance, over his time there, Um, Claudio Pizarro. You know, guys he had really a good understanding with. And when he has some sort of a co-partner up there, uh, he tends to score more goals. And uh, if Sherald Becker can be that guy, it would do wonders for Union and Max Cruz's scoring form, and uh, yeah, Sharoda Becker truly teeing up a couple of times, and uh, Max Cruz getting one goal. But uh, as for mines, yeah, it, uh, the defending was criminal, and um, even even Poian Paul
0: got his... Got a goal on his debut. Um Yeah, what almost his first touch. You know, it was uh, it was a quick quick goal. Yeah,
1: but but him. the but the thing about the goal was though is that he first at first he gets the ball in the box, it comes from <laughs> across and he <laughs> He scuffs he, his first touch. T- he scuffs his first touch and it sort of hits him, I think in his upper thigh or something. And in those two or three seconds where the ball is loose, nobody no mines defender is even close enough to get in there and just take the ball away. And and that in itself is uh, criminal and um you know when you give a guy two chances to score uh, he might take you up on it and uh, paian paul did
0: for sure for sure and and, and it, it's good to see him back getting goals in the bundesliga he had such a um, dramatic debut uh, a few years ago for for leverkusen and then you know between injury and then exile in hamburg we didn't see a lot of him so uh it would be a lot of fun to have a big finished lug banging in goals, uh, even if it's for uh, a team who I, I don't want to get too far ahead of, of my guys. You know, for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> for reasons. These these two teams, I mean, Union, obviously, they've been very active in the transfer market this summer, but did not uh, make any last-minute moves. Uh, neither did Mainz. Mainz, I guess, when you look at the trouble they're in, uh, some folks might have expected them to to you know try and go out and <laughs> make some moves. Uh, are, are they beyond help at this point? Is Jan Moritz uh basically going to just hang on uh, for, for the remainder of the year and you know take him down into the second division? Or are, are there moves to make for them?
1: Yeah, well, they got rid of Riedl Bakou to Wolfsburg. Yeah, for, that's true. Um, I think uh 10 million euros or Thursday something so Friday something like that it was, it was a weird move. yeah um, not expected I think the squad looks uh strong enough to stay in the Bundesliga you know it's it seems like a squad that should finish in the lower half of the table but it wasn't necessarily the sort of team I would have picked for relegation but um given the unrest and uh the coaching situation at uh a lot is going to be decided in the next three or four weeks uh, to see, I mean, it's going to be important to see how how Lichter is going to approach his new job and if he is the guy to turn around. And if he isn't, um, a lot is going to depend on who mines are going to bring in and uh, if that guy can change their fortunes. Because if he can't, and if they're in rock bottom at, at the winter break, it's going to be a hard act to get out of that.
0: So here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of Match Day 3. We still have, you know, five more games to, to touch on. We're going to touch on pretty quickly because we've, we've been talking for, for a little while, mm. uh, as it is. This was, for me, a, a completely not surprising result. I turned this game on uh, expecting uh, to see Cologne take it on the chin, and and sure, sure enough, they did. It was against their old uh, Rhine rivals Gladbach. It was a three-one result uh, in Cologne, and it was it was not pretty for the Billy Goats.
1: No, I mean once again, simple tactics. Gladbach just played long balls behind the the back three of Cologne, and uh, got chance after chance for for that. And uh, after this, opened the scoring. There was really no looking back, and uh, they you know, after the, uh, on the eye mark, they want a more than three goal lead. And then they were never going to give it up. Uh, what's what's scary for Colin though is that once again Timo Horn with an with a mistake. Oh man! Um, should have covered his near post batter on on that corner kick for the two 0 goal. I so, one
0: quick thing, <laughs> when that goal went in with the 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 header at at, at the near post, I com- I squealed when I was watching it, and my wife was like completely confused as to why I did that. But I had so I had to explain that that Timo Horn <laughs> has managed to let in. Incredibly cheap goals for the near post, <laughs> like like madness this this year, and and it just felt you know too delicious not to. It's
1: certainly a a, a big fall from grace from for the guy who
0: you know was once tipped to
1: be the the you know the crown prince for for that spot in the national team once Manuel has retired, uh, the guy who went to the Olympics for Germany in Rio and uh, won a silver medal, and uh, you know he now he's having now it's just one blunder after the after the other and uh, i mean it it would be unfair just to uh, put that all down to horn because uh, the rest of the team hasn't really performed either
0: true but at the same time like if you're a coach and you keep on playing this keeper who is terrible or is playing terrible anyway especially when you have a pretty proven guy on the bench in Ron Robert Sealer. I mean, he's he's obviously made his mistakes over his career too. But like, this is not some tomato can. This is a guy who has, you know, played in some big games and can probably come in and not, you know, lose his, his cool. You know, I, if I was on the team, I'd be looking at Gisdol and saying like, why don't you put in this other guy who's probably not going to screw up all the time? Give him a shot. It's tricky because Horn is a Cologne lad
1: and he has stayed through, you know, he didn't leave the club when they were relegated and uh, putting such a fan out of favour and leaving him on the bench is also going to raise a question or two in a, a town like Cologne. So I see why it's tricky for Marcus Gisdall to do that. Um, but on the other hand side, I think that time is running out for Team Horn and he needs to get his act together right about now because I think one or two more mistakes and that spot is going to be Ron Robot Zela's
0: spot. I'm going to make a prediction. Go on. I think when Cologne come back from the international break, they're opening up with a home match against Frankfurt. RRZ is going to be in goal for that game alright
1: how, how much are we willing to bet
0: <laughs> oh come on you don't have to bet against me it's just a prediction it's just something for a podcast the next time I'll see you and
1: it's <laughs> if this turns out to be right I'll buy you a Berlina Kindle
0: I love it I love it anytime I'm in a position to to, to get my hands on one of those uh, I, 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 I'll go for it especially if it's uh, if it's a Kindle Visa. Uh, the the sour goodness the sour goodness any other random thoughts? I guess uh, Borussia mentioned Gladbach. They've been pretty pretty conservative on the transfer market. We've already mentioned that they brought in a couple of guys who have a history with Marco Rosa, but they've done very little else. Uh, Cologne sealed a deal for uh, Marius Wolf uh, on loan. Uh, this weekend he you know he, i think he was in the stands uh taking this game in. i don't think he was necessarily uh thought of as someone who, who, who they'd be throwing right in uh from from von Anfang on or anything but uh d- do you think that has any potential to do anything for them <laughs> difficult to tell i mean the the biggest problem they're facing
1: right now is at the back yeah so i mean that that's the main thing that uh marcus gistel has to sort out and uh talking about people in the stands in cologne there was actually leon dreiseitel as well uh the anojal player who uh is a massive fc cologne fan because he was born in cologne
0: no oh, right. i was not aware of that i guess he did he play for the konohaya for a while before he uh before he left yeah we'll see
1: he he might have. I, I mean I'm 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 not that up on ice hockey transfers to be honest. Yeah. But uh, I mean he I've seen him play in the NHL and he is uh he is quite good at what he does. Yep,
0: he was the most valuable player. You know, you know, the hockey they always they have the names, you know, the Hart trophy, the the, the McDonald, whatever. <laughs> Trophy. Uh, they they don't name their things MVP or anything like that. They have special names, and I, I don't follow that sort of thing. But he he was he was the the the, the most celebrated MVP, whatever type guy. What do you want to call? It? Uh, let's talk about your team. Uh, they got another win. They got another win. Yes. Just, you know, hold your horses. They beat Armenia Bielefeld, and you know they might not have beaten them very convincingly, but it's still three points, and you know you got 6 points buddy uh, how you feeling yeah
1: i'm feeling like there are still 34 points to gather and uh, you don't necessarily see Vladimir gather them that quickly i mean it was it was a match of two halves Verde dominant in the in the first half managed to put together a couple of good attacking moves one of that one of those was finished off by Leonardo Bittencourt the much maligned Leonardo Bittencourt who's gotten some stick from both me and you on this podcast but in the second half, it was all Amenia menia, and um, Jiri Pavlenka really uh, earned his wages uh, during those last 45 minutes, pulling up a couple of great saves. Uh, kind of a controversial situation there towards the end when uh, James van der Hoorn, um, the Dutch defender, got his foot to the ball first, and then the stats right into the foot of Valkovic. Uh, ball went over the line. A ref didn't give it... Um, because of dangerous play but um i think i think the reason why var didn't interfere was because it wasn't a particularly a mistake but i think if the ref would have let the goal stand i think var wouldn't have interfered either because it wouldn't have been a mistake to allow that goal a gracious mistake to allow that goal either so that sounds lucky for verda to keep all three points but hey it's the first time Verda gets two wins on 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 the bounce since September 2019, and um, you know we we remember what happened after those two wins on the bounce after September 2019.
0: Not much good. Not much good. No. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's think about what happened with transfers for these two teams over the weekend. Uh, we already mentioned it earlier in the show. Arna Meyer is uh, going to to uh, Armenia Bielefeld for one year on loan. He did, you know, extend his contract at Hertha before going. So this is not a, this is not a, you know, rent to buy situation. But otherwise, Armenia seemed to have gotten their business done prior to the weekend. Werder still pretty active, I guess, is, you know, maybe, maybe fitting a team that's that sort of looking to, to find itself kind of a weird scattershot weekend for them. I have to say, uh, Davy Klaassen sold to Ajax at a, at a slight loss, I guess. Couldn't get the deal done to sell Milat Rashica to Leverkusen, who were the last team standing in that race. Uh, that was over a, a sort of, you know, a purchase option number, which they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't meet in the middle on. But another couple of weird moves, um, Johannes Eggestein being loaned to Linzer Aska in in Austria, and then no deal on uh, on Marco Grujic, who uh, you know Verde were were working on trying to buy from from uh, Liverpool. Or I guess they were they were working on trying to loan him, whereas Liverpool were trying to sell him. Yeah, I mean Liverpool wanted
1: wanted twenty million euros, and uh, I mean Verda in a situation where they actually need to save an awful lot of money, and uh, that Klaassen deal accomplishes that because it infuses 11 million euros into the coffers of the club and it uh, gets a player who's on a 3.5 million annual salary off the wage list and in that it's a deal that makes sense but as i tweeted earlier it only makes sense if you actually go out and replace him with somebody who can step up and uh, get straight into that starting lineup because david clarson for the time he was at Verda has always been a vital player. Always a player who stepped up to the mark. Always a leader on the pitch, and that is going to be sorely missed. And uh, Mark Grujic certainly would have been that type of player who could have s- fitted that role perfectly. But yeah, now uh, you know, you know, um, Frank Parmon really um, sort of uh, went in there with uh, a pair of two, a pair, you know, having a two seven. Uh, unsuited, on his hands, and uh, he played that hand as good as he could, but he he, he didn't manage to win it, um, it turns out, because Liverpool only were keen to sell him for 20 million euros, and obviously Voda cannot cough up that sort of money right now. Grecitsa um, staying, not the end of the world. I mean, he gives the team a lot of quality, and uh, for Florian Kofold, it's probably a joyous situation that he has, that sort of attacking 3 of full crew Grecitsa. And uh, Ozaku that he wanted to play last season but didn't get to play, and he can see how that develops now. But yeah, uh, David Klassen certainly uh, going to be a player who's sorely missed, and it's going to be interesting to see how the team is going to cope.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's break into the topic of uh, uh, Eintracht's two-one win over Hoffenheim with a question from uh, Brian. Sanders, you know he he of, he of the hey Eintracht podcast, he wants us to talk about the lack of defensive depth for Eintracht uh, as well as sort of what what, the, what their ceiling is. I mean when when he wrote this tweet, he was in the heat of the moment of uh, you know Eintracht being Spitzenreiter, which you know now, now they're not, although they are level on points uh, with with the Spitzenreiter of uh, you know Leipzig. They have seven points do, do the Eagles. What is your take? On on their ceiling is this a team that, as as um, Brian says, is going to be um, a little bit unsteady because of uh, lack of defensive depth, or is this a team that can you know ride their their quality uh, going forward to uh, a pretty pretty high spot in this league? Well, I mean they're in third right now, and well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> on match day three, it's uh, it's all much of a muchness, really.
1: Yeah, it is. Um... Uh, you know what? I think they have they have a lot of attacking quality. They have Bastos, who um, turns out to be a vital guy. Andre Silva is on in, in some fire and form, and uh, Daichi Kamada. So I think attackingly, they've sorted their things out. And uh, yes, uh, I mean behind Martin Hinteregger and uh, a couple of the other guys, they usually tend to play in defence. There's not an awful lot of depth, but um, a lot is going to depend on. Uh, if they are going to face a lot of injuries and how the tight match schedule is going to affect the team, really. I think the ceiling for Eintracht Frankfurt would probably be a Europa League finish, but um, I could see them finish anywhere between 5th, 6th, and maybe 12th, depending on how that situation develops.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm more or less with you. I'm closer to the upper reaches uh, of of that range. I I think that um, depending on how things play out, you know, with with teams like Gladbach and Leverkusen, uh, I think that it's even possible that they could sneak into fourth if things go really well. But I, I, I do agree with Brian that uh, there is some worry that if they have uh, if they have any injury issues at the back, this could uh, this could all fall apart pretty quick. Well, let's talk through the uh, the the one one draw between uh, Stuttgart and Leverkusen, sort of through the prism of um, a, a listener question. That we got from uh, Hazelfish on Twitter asking uh, us to talk about Bay's Jumavilde. This is, you know, kind of a recurrent... Uh, the young and the wild ones. Exactly. Yeah. This is a recurring thing. This, they've, they've had several phases of young wild ones have, have Stuttgart. The first one, I guess, that most folks think about was in the sort of the, the early 2000s. Then they had another one that they won the league with, you know, the, the likes of of, uh, of Mario Gomez and Serdar Toski and, and a few other good young players that won the league in 2007. And this is just the latest version of that. This is a club that has prided itself for many many years on good youth work. Uh they've <laughs> certainly helped a lot of other teams like uh you know Bayern Munich and uh Chelsea at this point with the likes of uh Timo Werner, uh Serge Gnabry and uh you know Joshua Kimmich. So maybe if they could, you know, hold on to some of those players, they'd be even more young and wild than they are now, but they're pretty young and wild right now. They're they're looking good. They're
1: looking very good. And I mean, uh Aurel and Roberto in midfield are seemingly interesting players who've taken to that new level of play um, rather well. Uh, up front, you have uh, Vaman Givtka, uh, who has already gotten a goal and um, you know seems like a striker who who's an interesting guy and who, who seems to be a good bat for for another few goals and uh, then there is Sasha uh, who's the first Stuttgart player to get three goals in three consecutive games at the start of a season since Sean Dundee of all people did the same thing in two, in the 2002-2003 season so yeah it's it seems like an interesting wild bunch and let's not forget the uh, goalkeeper Georg uh, Kobel uh, who had offers from bigger clubs at the start of the season but decided to to be in Stuttgart it's it's all sort of really reminiscent of that bunch from 2000 from that 2001-2004 period under under Felix maggott when nobody nobody really believed that should, could do an awful lot but then they turned out to be a side that suddenly ended up playing Champions League football and even uh, defeated Manchester United in one of those outings I I, I seem to remember so yeah, it's it's been three matches. Uh they've not necessarily have have had the best of oppositions, but having said that, a draw against Leverkusen, a deserved one at that, um is a good starting place, really. Uh they even almost managed to produce a two with a comeback after being three 0 down against Freiburg. So it's it's a team that never gives up and that plays with a lot of youthful bliss really. Add to that, that Sven Mislintard, uh, the guy who used to work at Dortmund at Arsenal, uh, who puts the squad together, really seems to be like a guy who knows what he's doing. Uh, leadership in Thomas Hitzlisberger, who seems to be, has studied the ship at, at, the, at the top level of the club, which has sort of been chaotic. And Additionally, you have Pellegrino Matarazzo, who seems to be a good fit for those young players so far. So, who knows? Uh, Stuttgart might be going places.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel you. These two teams did a little bit on deadline day. Vaufe um, Bay, uh, you know, the you know you mentioned Miss Mislitott. He's sort of a well-known guy around European football circles. And he is definitely the kind of guy who can, you know, make deals happen. Uh, he can just call up Juventus and say, you know, you got any young French phenoms that you want to loan us for a year just to give him some, you know, uh, spielpraxis? Do, do, <laughs> do you have the next
1: Pogba? Yeah. 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 yeah no, as, we'll as long as,
0: as uh, the next Pogba's name is Nawiro Ahmada, uh, maybe maybe it'll turn out to be exactly that. We'll, we'll see how he turns out. Yes, and he is he is sort of a six slash eight player. So you know maybe maybe that'll uh, turn out to be a good pickup. We'll see. Leverkusen, however, uh, we might have sort of obliquely mentioned this before. They were trying to get a deal done for Mila Rashica on deadline day. Uh, they weren't able to offer enough money in the purchase option to Verdo to, to get Verder to bite. Uh, so they are are standing pat. Uh, with what they have, you know, Leverkusen, and this is, <laughs> this is not a shock, have looked kind of inconsistent uh, to start the season. Uh, and what surprise, do you mean inconsistent? surprise, surprise! Three,
1: three draws on a row, that, in a row. That that is
0: consistency in itself. Well, but you know, there's been ones where they look really looked very good, and then other games where they didn't. I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm a little surprised that a team with that sort of financial Juice was not ready to just say, "Okay, fine, Verder, tack on an extra three or four million to this this purchase option for a player who we all know is going to be very good." I mean, unless Verder were really trying to take them for a ride on on Milot Rashica, and I suppose you know, if if Leverkusen really wanted to do a loan to buy thing, maybe Verder were just sort of a bit wary about that whole situation, but. You know, if you're Leverkusen, you're in a completely different financial universe from a, t- a club like Verder. Just just put the money on the barrel head and walk away. Take your player, move on. I mean, the
1: the talk out of Bremen was that uh, Bremen was willing to let Rüşt to go for 20 million. I mean, it's, it's a reduced price. On uh, normal circumstances, there would have been some teams willing to trigger that buyout clause that was at 38 million euros but now we're in a corona market and transfer fees are reduced but uh yeah 20 millions i think it's it's quite a get for a cheater. but uh, obviously if you're not willing to cough that up
0: but uh, not willing to
1: go willing to
0: to sell them surprise surprise uh okay one more game no goals in the game Wolfsburg versus Augsburg. um i'm told however that you want to talk about it i'm going to give you a very limited window nick
1: uh, really disappointing, uh, from a Wolfsburg perspective, they had the better chances in that match. Rafael Ginkovic in the iceberg goal, uh, put in some goalkeeping heroics and, uh, which put him rightly, rightfully so in several, a uh, team of the weeks came to Bundesliga best 11s. Um, so yeah, a disappointing week for Wolfsburg who, uh, didn't manage to qualify Europe. Didn't manage to get more than a draw for the third time in the row, and uh, they are going to dis- be disappointed that they are on only three points after three matches because uh, they probably should have been on more. But you know, it's it's still early on, and uh,
0: you would expect Wolfsburg to do slightly better in the coming weeks. Yeah, personally, went to that. They did pick up a couple of guys. Uh, they read the Baku, who we mentioned, uh, is in from Mainz. He signed, uh, you know, late last week, and uh, Maxi Philip. Uh, you know who who we all knew and loved from Freiburg and Dortmund uh, and probably was as good as as disappeared uh having gone to Russia for for a season he's been rescued from russian exile he's he's back in germany but um yeah we'll, we'll see what he can offer for the wolves
1: yeah uh definitely a couple of exciting pickups but uh yeah that that side looks, looks good Expect them to do better.
0: That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Uh, it's great to keep you back in the uh, the co-pilot seat for another week, Nick. It's been it's been tremendous fun being on. And uh, yeah,
1: let's uh, let's hope I, I can come on for many more episodes this season.
0: might. You can, uh, of course, follow Nick on Twitter, at Norm Musings. You can listen to much more of him on Talking Foosball's Patreon page, you'll find the historic Match Day Moments series uh, behind which uh, Nick was certainly the driving force, as well as a new episode of Talking Foosball Extra. This week was, uh, you know, discussing basically the the return of fans uh, to Bundesliga stadiums and how that's sort of playing with the, uh, uh, you know, health regulations and so forth. We do hope you'll consider supporting us over there on Patreon. We've got some, you know, some really great content for not a lot of money. So if you feel like sharing, with us. Uh, you know, we'd love to encourage that. Uh, if you want to contact us, do hit us up on Twitter. We are at Talking Foosball. Of course, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get pods. Tell a friend, give us a great review, visit some Nick's you.